Welcome to the High Prices Church Podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now, here's lead pastor, Chris Sestar. Get your Bibles, turn to Joshua, the Old Testament book of Joshua, chapter 24. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. So what's that, the sixth book? If you don't know where it is, there ought to be a page number in your Bible. Joshua chapter 24 and I want to preach a message I've entitled we will serve the Lord we will serve the Lord man y'all look good today this is a good looking congregation they took a survey and y'all the best looking congregation this morning in Anderson County I just told a lie in church I think you're great looking Joshua chapter 24 I'm going to tell this I'm going to preach this story But we will just read verses 14 and 15 and then verses 24 through 28. So let's begin at verse 14. Now therefore fear the Lord. Serve Him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. Anybody feel that? God's speaking to us. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Come on, you feel that, don't you? Come on, high praises, you feel that, don't you? Come on, child of God, you feel that. Let's skip to verse 24. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God, we will serve. And his voice, we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made for them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. And then Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness to us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord which he spoke to us. It shall therefore be a witness to you, lest you deny your God. And so Joshua let the people depart, each to his own inheritance. All right, you may be seated. You've been standing a while. Thank you. I love the way you all worship the Lord this morning. I know God loves it. So let's just jump into this story. I just have a lot of things I'd like to share with you today. Joshua, who is now the leader of the people of Israel, calls the people together for a meeting. They are in the promised land, and so he wants to talk to them. He knows that his time is up. He knows that he won't be around much longer. And so he, this is what's interesting is he, he meet, meets with the people, but when he begins, God speaks through him. God's, this happens oftentimes through prophets. God speaks through him. And so God reviews the history of the nation of Israel. And if you would read it, he, re, he recounts, God recounts how he called Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and Aaron to lead their nation. And he reminds them how he brought them out of Egypt into the promised land and how he gave them victories over their enemies, how he blessed them and took care of them time and time and time again. What is God doing? God is emphasizing his grace to them, his mercy to them, his protection for them, 
his provision for them. Let me just stop right here, and I am just amazed at how the Holy Spirit moves Pastor Billy to sing certain songs when he has no idea what I'm preaching on Sunday morning. But we sang repeatedly today about how God is good to us. Constantly, you were singing Thanksgiving songs to God for being good to us. How many of you can say today, if you're born again, that God's been good to you? He's protected you, hasn't he? Watched over you, blessed you, met your needs, helped you when you needed it. So Joshua then speaks after God says all that, and Joshua then follows up and challenges Israel. And basically what he says to them is this, because God has been good to you, you ought to live your life for him wholeheartedly. And, and, and he, he admonishes them with three things. Number one, fear the Lord. I don't think I put this on the screen, but it's in your Bible. But if you're taking notes, it's number one, fear the Lord. Now, I could just spend a whole sermon on what it means to have fear for God and the reverence of God. It's not to live in terror of God. That's not the same thing. But it's to hold God in awe and in respect more than anyone or anything else. And really, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So that the, it's not just fearing the Lord. I mean, even the demons believe and tremble. But it's having a relationship with God and walking in this relationship with God where he is number one in your life. You make a full-fledged commitment to him. You're sold out to him. You hold him in the highest regard. Do you do that with God? I'm just asking. Is there anything else in your life that in reality, if we examined it, is maybe a little higher than God? Or do you fear God more than anything? Can you let go of anything else because you never want to let go of God? Second, he said, serve him in sincerity and truth. To help you understand what Joshua is saying, the, the Hebrew word means to serve the Lord like a subject would serve the king. Now, we're in a democracy. We're in a representative democracy, a republic, a democratic republic, if you want the right terminology. And so we, we cut loose from a king 200-something years ago. A lot of times we don't understand that, but... You've probably seen enough movies and read enough books to know that when a king is in charge, he is the final word. Whatever he says is the law of the land. Subjects don't argue with him. If they do, you might get your head cut off. The king is the king. And so when the king speaks, whatever he says, the subjects do. That's what Joshua is saying. He said God is not just some other person. He's God. He's the only divine being. He's your creator. He's your savior. <clears throat> so you need to obey him and serve him. Be true to him. Obey him completely and obey him from your heart. Don't just do it out of fear. Do it because you love him. You know why you ought to do what the Bible says? Because you don't want to displease God. Not because you're afraid you're going to get caught or you're afraid of what's going to happen. You ought to, you ought to serve the Lord because you don't want to make him unhappy. And so fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth. And then this one's interesting. Put away the gods of your fathers. And this one is revealing to me. So let me just talk about because I want to talk about this for just a little bit. He said reject the syncretism of your forefathers. Now if you've never heard that word, let me explain it to you. Syncretism is the blending of two or more religions for your personal use. So, 
Israel was bad to try to serve Jehovah, but then also serve Baal or Asherah or Moloch, who, by the way, behind every false god, there is a demonic spirit. And the, fault, and the spirit behind Moloch is the murder of babies. I think that same spirit is what's behind abortion. It's not just a political issue. It's a spiritual issue. And so, and so I, I don't understand this, but all the way through, look, after all the good things that God had done for them, that God reminded them of, they had come out of Egypt and they were still carrying with them these little idols. And some of them went all the way back to Abraham. Because when God called Abraham out of Ur of Chaldees, which is modern-day Iraq, he was not a believer. He was a pagan. I've taught you this. And so somehow somebody in Abraham's group brought those idols with them. And though, though Abraham didn't serve them, somehow they just hung around. And so the people of Israel went all the way back to trying to worship Jehovah, but they'd still offer incense and worship to these false gods. And then they were adopting the false gods of the Amorites and the Moabites and the Jebusites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and all the otherites, Canaanites. And so they're foolishly taking what the world says is incredibly valuable and worth worshiping and giving your life to and trying to do that and at the same time say the same thing to God. And Joshua said, if God's been good to you and he's your God, put away all of those things that are, that are being carried from your past, things that go back generationally. I'm talking to you right now. Are you listening? Some things that go back generationally, get rid of them. So I think Joshua's admonition is applicable to the saints of God today. So let's go back and review those, and let's live it in the 21st century. First of all, we need to fear the Lord. People have lost their fear of God. People, people in, our, in our culture anymore don't even believe in God. They'll use the Lord's name in vain. But we need to hold God in awe and in reverence. We need to live in such a way that it is evident to everybody who watches us all day long from the time we get up in the morning, starts with our family, work, anywhere else we go to the time we come back home to our family again at night. We need to live in such a way that it is evident to everybody watching our life that God is in charge, that he's number one. I think it goes without saying that the people of God ought to obey God. And I know that's not always the case. I'm not a naive pastor. Some people try to be saved and still commit sin. It cannot happen. Because once you commit sin, you're no longer saved. Now, I'm not talking about incidental sins. There is grace for that. There are times when you're going to make the wrong choice, and God's going to convict you. And what do you do? I've taught you for years. Keep short accounts with God. How many times have I taught you that? Pray right then, say, God, forgive me, and God will do it, and then you learn from it and you grow. But I'm talking about people who say, I'm saved, but then they practice sin. 
but they want you to think that they're right with God. I'm telling you, you cannot practice sin and practice righteousness. It's got to be one or the other. Serve the king. Live for the king. And the third thing is, we need to make a clean break with those things that would pull us away from the Lord. Okay, now this is good preaching that we all need, all of us, to help us make it to heaven. We need to make a clean break. And let me just kind of tie in to what Joshua was saying to these people from these generational things. Do you know that, that there are habits and vices that you learn from your dad, your mom, your grandfather, your grandmother, your uncle, that you have cared, that has been carried down generationally? And if you're not careful, you're passing it on to your children. And right now, I can make a list. Like, we live for the Lord, we serve the Lord, but it's okay to use profanity when you just feel like it. So I'm just going to pull that one out of the air. How about that? Because I know people in the South who do that. And I'm thinking, if Jesus were standing right there beside you physically, would you do that? No, you wouldn't because the holiness of God would be so strong that you wouldn't do that. I'm just telling you now, you wouldn't. Prove it. Isaiah stood in the presence of God, and it was so awesome in Isaiah 6 that he said, Woe is me, for I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of glory. You get in the presence of God and you have unclean lips, trust me, you will fall under the heaviest conviction and you'll be terrified. And yet, we justify, now you don't have to amen me, I'm just preaching, love me or hate me, but I'm just preaching today. And yet, we, we, we want to condone and justify things that were learned behavior handed down from us. I'm coming here today to tell you, identify those things and then make a clean break so that your because I'm going to talk to parents a little bit today so that your children and your grandchildren don't have to listen to it like you did y'all with me clean and now they're living in an environment where we don't say that we don't do that we don't act like that We need to make a clean break with people or things that we could easily give all of our time, all of our money, all of our attention to in the place of God. I'll just let that one sit. Israel, if you read the Old Testament, was prone to worship idols. And I, I have said this, other theologians have said this, all you have to do is just kind of look around and it will resonate with you. There is something inside of us. People are going to worship something or someone. And I think part of that is because of that we're made in the image of God and we are made to worship God. The, the, the Westminster Catechism says that the chief end of man is to glorify God. It's, it's our purpose. So you're going to worship something. So if you don't live for God, you don't worship God, then you're going to find something to worship. There's something inside of us that is prone to elevate and admire and even throw money to and time and attention people and things that 
we glorify. It can be a rock star. It can be a pop star. It can be a college football team. It can be your children. I've seen mothers who idolize their children, worship their children. It can be anything. Idolatry always leads to disobeying God and to loss. And I told you that idolatry is ultimately from the devil. There's usually a demonic spirit, especially the kind of idolatry that we read here. Now, I'm not saying if you idolize your children that the devil's behind it. But I tell you what, if you put anything before God, don't you think that's not cracking the door for the devil to, devil to walk in and move in and start working? You give him an inch, he'll take a mile. In Luke chapter 4, let me say that. Do you all know, like we loved, like we were just singing about God, how we were glorifying God. Did you know that God is a jealous God? Do you all know that? Did you know that's an attribute of God? It's, as a matter of fact, it's in verse like 19 of our text. I didn't read it, but it's there if you want to go read it. Joshua told him, he said, he's a jealous God. He's not going to put up with, with letting other things and people and idols and false gods come in. He's not going to do it. In Luke 4, Satan tempted Jesus to worship him in order to rule the world. And Jesus replied, get behind me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. You just have to make sure that everything has its proper place. I love to fish, but I don't love to fish more than I love God. Okay, I enjoy deer hunting, but I don't enjoy it more than I enjoy God. I love my wife, but I don't love her more than I love God. I love my kids, but I don't love them more than I love God. I love those grandbabies, but I'm going to say it. I don't love them more than I love God. Okay? He has got to be number one. I'm just trying to help us today. Joshua told the people, you have a decision to make. And, you know, you all think I talk straight. Joshua talked straight to them. He said, you may not want to serve this God that's been good to you. You may think that's a bad thing. You may want to serve these other gods. He said, some of you may want to serve God. It's implied he's saying this. Some of you may want to serve God. But here's what Joshua said, and I'm going to preach in the vernacular. Make up your mind. Make up your mind. you got a decision to make. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. And, and I know for all of us today, I want to preach this. Obviously, this is directed towards people who are in sin, people that are not saved, but I still think this applies to all of us believers too. Each of us in this room stands daily at the fork in the road. Each of us has a decision to make, and you can try to ignore it, especially if you're in sin or backslidden. You can try to put it off, but sooner or later, <clears throat> you will have to make up your mind, am I going to keep living in sin, or am I going to live for Jesus? Has anybody in here ever literally tried to ride a literal fence? You ever straddled a fence and tried to ride it? You're not going to raise your hand, are you? Thank you, one honest person. God bless you. See me after church. We're going to write you a check for $1,000 because you raised your hand. See, the rest of you missed out. I'm just kidding. All the, all the deacons just went, oh, God, he's giving away $1,000. I don't know that I've ever tried. I probably have. It's probably something everybody's trying to do. But you ever try to straddle a fence. 
okay? The old saying, riding the fence, straddling the fence, try it sometime. And have somebody there with the phone with the video going, and I want to see it. Because number one, it's uncomfortable. That's not a place you want to stay for a long period of time. And number two, you're going to fall off one way or the other. Gravity always wins. And the same is true if you try to straddle the fence. I'm going to live for Jesus, but there's these things over here that I love just as much as Jesus. And some people might say, mm, I think you might love it even more than Jesus. And you're trying to straddle the fence. Listen to me. If you're in sin and you're straddling the fence between do I get saved, do I don't get saved, let me tell you, that's a miserable existence. I'm coming to church, Pastor. Does that count for something? Yeah, at least you're hearing the truth. But if the rapture took place right now, you'd still be sitting here in an empty building. It's not enough to go to church. Down south, we want to go to church as if that'll fix everything. I've seen people come to church for years and still be in sin. You don't go to church, you go to Calvary. You got to go to the cross, you got to go to Jesus. So you can't say, because it's a miserable existence when you're trying to do both and make people think you, you're right and you got it right, but the reality is you're living all up in sin. It is a miserable, and sooner or later, the love of God's going to pull you one way or the forces of hell are going to pull you another. You have to make up your mind. In the book of Revelation, I think this is fascinating, there was a church full of people riding the fence. The Laodicean church. They wanted to be in church. They wanted to feel the Holy Ghost like you do at high praises, but they wanted to stay connected with this sinful world and sometimes disobey God and do what they wanted. And Jesus spoke to them, Revelation 3, verses 15, 16, and 20. He said, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. Do you know what God wants? God wants what God wants. God wants you to either live for him and be on fire or just go ahead and be a sinner. Don't play the game. I would that you were called. Out. So then because you are lukewarm, if you drink enough lukewarm water, it will make you throw up. You know that, right? Tepid water, enough of it will make you throw up. He said, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. In other words, it won't work. It's not working. Yeah, but I'm coming to church. But you're still in sin. It's not working. You, but but I, I, wrote, I, I put some money in the plate. Good. Praise the Lord. We'll take it. But it's not working. Well, I, I, I'm signed up for growth track. Good. But it's, it's not working. See what I'm saying? I help people. Wonderful. Continue to help people. That's a good hu human thing to do. But it's, it's not working. And then if you go on to verse 20, Jesus speaks and says, to a church, to church people, y'all. Thank you, one amen, because that's about all I expect. I'm not tickling your ears today. Is that okay? All right. To church people, Jesus said, behold, look. Look out the window. I'm outside. I stand at the door and knock. Wait a minute, the Lord's not in. No, he's not in. I'm not talking about the church. He's not in you. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone will open the door, I will come in and have fellowship with him and he with me. And that statement by Jesus is, I will come in 
and I will wash your sins away and save you, and I will unite with you, and I will I will have relationship with you, and we'll move past this church thing and this sin thing, and you'll start living. Hallelujah. Joshua told the people, I've already made up my mind. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We made up a mind in our house. Joshua was committed, parents. Joshua was committed to raising his children in such a way that it was normal to live for the Lord. Parents, I, I, I ask you to set the goal in your house that it's normal to live for the Lord. That's normal. That if anybody else is not, that's abnormal. When they go to their friend's house and their friend's parents and their friends aren't living like y'all do, and they may come home and say something to you about it, that you have to address that, and you have to be kind, but you have to say, well, that's not how we do things here. We live for Jesus. Jesus, Jesus tells us how to live here. You teach them that. That's how they learn it. Joshua and his family went to the temple to pray. They went to worship. They went to learn about Jehovah. They gave their tithes to God. They read the law of God. They obeyed the law of God. So parents, let me just preach to you for a little bit. We live in perilous times. We live in utterly wicked times. Our children are exposed to perversion on every hand. Y'all see that, right? Perversion. And it may feel like it's impossible to shield them from the evil that surrounds us in our culture, in our society, even in our nation. But I just came here today as your shepherd, as a father, as a grandfather. I came here today to remind you, to encourage you, parents, that you have someone in your life, his name is Jesus. And you have something in your life that can keep those kids safe from the corruption all around them. Let me tell you what those things are. It's more than one. It's your faith. It's your walk with God. It's, it's your commitment to the Lord. So hear me today. If I don't say anything else, I want every parent to hear me. Listen to me. Don't underestimate the power of your influence. And the older they get as teens, the less you feel like you have that influence. But don't you buy into that. They're still listening. Don't underestimate the power of God working in you, working through you for your children. So let the pastor just speak to his church today. Parents, raise your children in the fear of the Lord and the admonition of the Lord. That means the admonition is whatever he says to do, we do it. Teach them right and wrong according to God's holy word. Model for them how to live a godly life. Pray over your meals. First of all, because the Bible says to do it. The Bible says everything we can eat, you can, I can eat barbecue. It comes from a pig. It's not kosher, but I eat it, but I thank the Lord. And as long as I thank the Lord for it, it says receive it with thanksgiving. And I told a rabbi one time, there will be barbecue ribs in heaven. And you will eat them. No, not me. I said, oh, I'll be there to watch. Pray over your meals. Dad, you're not, a, you're not embarrassed to pray in public, are you, over your meals, are you? 
It's the greatest testimony. I love it. I still love watching families do it. I love when older couples do it. It, it, says, it just it impresses me, and I'm a preacher. I just love when somebody takes time enough, doesn't care about what anybody else thinks. I love it when they teach the kids, bow your heads, and, and then the, the, parent, the dad, a lot of times, you mean just the dad, the dad will pray. And I'm looking over, I'm like, that's cool. God likes that. I like that. What a testimony. Because what if there's some little kid over here watching with his family? They don't ever pray over their meals, but he's watching you. Will that have that big an influence? You better believe it. You better believe it. Or it might be a, it might be a dad who's been timid or doesn't have a preacher like me who really challenges you, and he's not doing it, and then he looks over, and there you are saying, all right, y'all bow your head, and let's pray, and you're praying, and he's going, first of all, that's cool. Second, I don't do that. Third, I need to do that. Next time, I'm going to do that with my family. You see what I'm saying? So pray over your meals. Read the Bible to your children. Bring them consistently to church and church events. If you can get them to school events, you can get them to a church event. If you can get them to a sport event, you can get them to a church event. Okay? They're going to have better influence around the kids here, the students here, than they are other places, 10 to 1. Show them how to say, I'm sorry, when they do wrong. You know what that means, right? That means when you do wrong, you have to say what? I'm sorry. If you do something wrong to them, one of the hardest things for a parent to do is look at their child and say, honey, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. I'm not apologizing to my kid. Good. Teach them, teach them that. That's what you teach them. That's what you teach them. You want me to say it again? Because it's more things are caught than taught. Is this okay? We're not shouting, but is this all right? I'm trying to help you. Show them how to say I'm sorry. Tell them about the grace and the mercy of God. Tell them about the grace. You know how you can tell them grace? Show them grace when they mess up. Say, you're going to pay for this, but it could be worse. But I'm going to be gracious to you. Let them, this is important. To a degree, you you have to keep it within parameters. But I want to say this. I think you ought to let your children hear you be critical of and denounce the wickedness that they hear and they see on television and social media and the news and from their friends and if it's from school. You need to, they need to hear you denounce it. My father did. My daddy's in heaven. But I have memories of my dad when stuff would happen on TV or he'd hear things. My dad would, my dad would make remarks to let me know he did not approve of that. And that wasn't my dad griping. That was my dad standing against unrighteousness. That was my dad making a statement to the family. We don't condone that. We don't approve that. I don't like that. I'm sorry, son, you had to hear that. And it made an impact on me. And I did the same thing with my boys. You see, while we're clear-cutting some things, we're initiating other things that we pass on. And what is so beautiful is that the children of Israel made up their minds to serve the Lord. Three things occurred. They renewed the covenant with Jehovah. And in essence, they were renewing the covenant with God. What happened? They decided to embrace 
the God of their fathers, to embrace the faith of their fathers, to embrace the promises that were made to the previous generation and claim them for their own. And listen to me, all of the teenagers and college age and young adults you're hearing, you're hearing me speak today. Maybe you do, maybe you don't have godly parents or godly individuals in your life, but what you want to do, you know, I'm talking to the parents, let me talk to the young adults with the, and the teenagers. What you want to do is you don't want to reject that. You don't want to push that away. Uh, there, there are some things you may say, I'm never going to be like my daddy. Never going to act like my mama. Oh, yes, you will. It's in your genes. Don't push back on the godly things. Embrace them. Say, okay, I'm going to embrace the faith of my fathers. At some point, you have a decision to make. You have to make the faith of your mom and your daddy your own faith. It might be in high school. It might be in college. At some point, you have to make the faith that is your parents your own faith. And say, I serve the Lord not because of what they believe. I serve the Lord because of what I believe. They were redirected by Joshua to the book of the law of God. They set up this stone as a witness. Let me close this out with something very, very, very pragmatic. Musicians, please come. It's a model. If you're not saved, if you're backslidden, I'm encouraging you today to do what the children of Israel did. Enter into a covenant relationship with God. We would say get saved. Give your life to the Lord. If you're backslidden, you can renew the covenant. Second, live your life according to the word of God. I, I, I'm on Twitter, and I, I watch social media, and I listen to some things on TV and whatever, and every bit of it is just about junk, unless it comes from somebody godly. I'm just telling you right now, you can't, you can't lose by living according to God's word. Just read the Bible, listen to Listen to the preachers like me and the teachers, and if you're in a life group or whatever, just listen and learn and embrace it and say whatever God says, that's what goes. And then never forget when he saved you. Once he saves you, don't ever forget it. That's why I sang that old Andre. Ben, could Andre Crouch not write awesome songs? The blood will never lose its power. Soon and very soon we are going to see the king. That dude wrote so many good songs. I love singing all of them. That's why I pulled out that one, Take Me Back. Take Me Back. Sometimes you just need to go back. Let me tell you what the devil will do. The devil, when life gets hard and you mess up and you have a moral failure, people are reminding you and they they get a joy out of reminding you. That's tough to live with because once you've messed up, you can't go back and take it back. Once you failed, it's done. But God does what people don't. And he chooses to not only forgive, but he chooses to forget, and he never brings it up again. Is that not cool? He never brings it up again. And so every once in a while, when you failed or you faltered or if you get saved you come back to the Lord what I would encourage you to do is every once in a while go back to that moment when you made things right with God and 
and say, yeah, I may not have done some things and I don't have it all together and I'm not as good as some people. I'm still learning. I'm still growing. But I'm committed to Jesus. I'm just learning. I'm growing. I don't always get it right. But here's the one thing. I know I'm saved because I can take you to the time and I can take you to the place when God changed my life. You always have that rock, that stone that you can go back to. And there's an old song that Leah's family sang, mom and dad sang for years. It says, I was there when it happened, so I guess I ought to know. I know my Jesus saved me the very moment he forgave me. Took away my heavy burdens and gave me peace within. Satan can't make me doubt it. It's real and I'm going to shout it. I was there when it happened, so I guess I ought to know. How many feel that way this morning? Come on, stand with me all over this place. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Thank you for letting me unburden myself. This message God gave me. Is there anyone in this house today that will say, Pastor Chris, thank you for preaching it straight. Thank you for talking straight to me. I know you love me because you don't preach me. You love me. And I do love you. You preach to me. I need to be saved. You preach to me. I'm backslidden. I've gotten away from the Lord, but I want to come back. With every head bowed, every eye closed. If you say, Pastor, that's me. I want to be saved. Or I want to come home. Throw your hand up high. Hold it up so I can see it. Anybody in this house, hold it high. God bless you, honey. I see you to my left. You put your hand down. Anybody else? Right here in the middle, I see both of you. Yes. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, sir. Anybody else? Hold it up. Hold it up. I, I, let, me, let me see. Anybody? Anybody else want to be saved? I see you, young man. You can put your hand down. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you, young man. love seeing these young adults saying it's time to make a decision. Can we, do the, can we do the way that I found works so well? Can we help you all pray? You know this church would like to help you get saved today? Would we, high praises? We love doing this. So let's all pray this prayer together. And for those of you who raised your hand, you pray it. Pray it to the Lord. Mean it from your heart. And, and God will save you. Everybody say this. Everybody, come on. Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. You know it. I know it. I'm ashamed, I'm embarrassed, I'm full of guilt, tired of living this way. I believe with all my heart that you died for the, on the cross for me, that somehow your death has the power to make me right with God, that the blood that flowed from your body has the power to wash all my sins away You'll make me clean. You'll change me. You'll make me a saint instead of a sinner. So I ask you right now, please forgive me. I'm so sorry. Come into my heart. Take over my life. I give everything to you. I turn from my sins. I'm not going to sin anymore. I'm going to live for you, Jesus. I want to love you, Jesus. I want to serve you, Jesus. I make a commitment to you, Jesus. I enter into covenant with you, Jesus. So right now, I know I'm saved. I accept you as my Savior. I accept you as my Lord. You are the leader of my life. Whatever you say, for the rest of my days, I will obey you. 
So thank you for saving me. Thank you for changing my life. Come on, say this. I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm saved. And I know that I am. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings in person or online at 10 a.m. For more information or to watch our services online, please visit us at www.highpraises.org or check us out on social media.